bunch of other rights you are listening to your rights at work chris scarlock here with ed smith and this is wpfw's call-in show about your rights on the job the ones you have the ones you don't have the ones you wish you had ed smith what's the number of people can call to chat with us about that hey everybody good to see you chris hey by the way i got my flu shot today Hope you get yours. all right yeah. and uh but that is not the number you asked no. for that was not your question <laughs> but if you want to call and talk to us We'd love to chat with you about your rights at work and uh, some of the great topics we'll be talking about today. You can call in at 202-588-0893. And as you know, we're also in our pledge drive. And Chris, I know that um, we really want to engage our listeners and continue to engage our listeners, but we want our listeners to engage back in the form of maybe some pledges today. Hey, here's the thing I was thinking about, Ed Smith, and, and we'll give out those, those numbers, but I think folks probably know, uh, you know, you can pledge online, WPFWFM.org. Uh, you can also pledge up on the uh, cash app, dollar sign WPFW. Here's something I've been thinking about, Ed Smith. Um, sure. Everybody, uh, rightfully so, is focused on election day, now less than mm-hmm. two weeks away. Uh, I know we just dropped off our ballots uh, over at the Silver Spring. They had a drop box right there. Uh, not quite as satisfying as, you know, punching, uh, <laughs> punching the ballot. But, hey, we voted. We're good. But Same here's the that. thing. Yeah. Here's the thing I'm thinking, Ed, is everybody's focused on Election Day. And, you know, Josh Williams, and, and you knew Josh well, former president of the Metro Council, he always used to say a thing that really made a whole lot of sense to me, which was what happens the next day? What, you know, and this is whether it was an organizing campaign, a contract yeah. campaign, an yeah. election, and everybody, you know how you know how they get. People get all, all focused on the day. And Josh was always, he'd sit there in these meetings. The day after. You know, and, and he'd say, that all sounds good. And, uh, you know, let's win this election. Let's win this contract, you know, whatever it was. But what about the next day? And I got to tell you, Ed, and you've been in these kind of meetings. You know what I'm talking about. People would sort of look around and like, Mm, geez, I hadn't thought of that. You well, know? Yeah, big mistakes, right? And here's my point, and, and this is how it comes to the fundraiser, right? Here's the thing, you know, whatever happens on election day, and, and you know, obviously we want everybody to get out there and vote, and I certainly have some favorite candidates. I'm sure you do. I'm sure we all do. Whoever wins on election day, it doesn't matter, you know, where, what candidates, whatever, the real work starts the next day. And it's the same thing with this station. It's not like PFW goes away after Election Day. They will, by the way. The station will have some great Election Day coverage. Looking forward to that. Um, But the beauty of this station, the beauty of our democracy, is 24-7, 365, right? And that is why, you know, you really want to get up there and contribute uh, to WPFW, and and honestly, ideally, come up with some amount. Whether you know it's a dollar a day, a couple dollars a day, a couple of dollars a week, whatever amount is most comfortable for you. But that I think is really the best way to think. Uh, you know, not that we don't love those one-time contributions; those are fabulous, those are great. 
But it really a better way to think about it is, you know, giving something to help, you know, so that we are able to continue doing the work that we do at this station, 365, 24 hours a day. So, Ed Smith, if you could give out those phone numbers once you know, more. I'd be happy to. Real quickly, I was thinking about the next day. So I just want to announce something that I finally can announce. Uh, we have uh, secured a collective bargaining agreement at Chobie's. All right, Park. all right. You have been working. I've yep. been, I've been really wanting to talk we, about that, but you're like, okay, let's just keep it quiet. Yeah, let's yeah. Keep it, you know? We needed to get, we needed to get our ratification process done. But Congratulations! It, it, it affects 1,200 nurses mm-hmm. at Chobie's National Hospital, and we got a very good contract. We worked well with management through the Zoom negotiations, and you know what? The next day, absolutely. The next day. The, the next, next day. day is getting our people together, getting more activists in the union to make sure that this contract that we negotiated is adhered to uh, 24-7, 365 days a year. And so on that note, um, we're very happy. But also the point you're making is election day, whatever day after pledge day, we're still operating. We're still going to be here. Me and you are still committed to this show every week and the hours it takes to prepare this show. So uh, if you want to give us a pledge, please do. Um, you can call 202-588-9739 or 1-800-222-9739. And as Chris just recently said, WPFWFM.org or dollar sign WPFW on the cash app that hopefully you have on your phone. So we really would appreciate some, some uh, participation here. And, and here's what I'd love to see, you know, and, and this is one of the way we can measure how effective we are this hour. Let's see uh, a few uh, $365 contributions. Uh, I know a lot of folks, we've seen some $500 contributions, some thousand contributions, uh, and that's great. We will absolutely uh, take that and it'll go right to PFW to do the work. But let's do 365. I'm, I'm just focused on the year round at this point. I really, I am spending so much time thinking about what happens after the election. Uh, because the real work is, is going to start there. So uh, Ed gave you those numbers. Let's see if we can get, get some $365 contributions to support. Or 365 WPFW. times four. <laughs> I can't do that, Matt. 365. Let's keep it. One number. 365. That's what we're looking for. 1460. Uh, this hour. <laughs> All right. I tell you what. Somebody does a 1450. I'm going to be really impressed. You will get total credit. You won't get the money, Ed, but you'll get total no, credit we'll get the for money. that. That's okay. All right. Uh, we'll be right back to talk some more about that. And of course, you can give us a call if you've got questions about your rights on the job. That advice is absolutely free. There is no charge for that. Uh, but let's go to our first guest. I know she's really jammed today as she is every day because she is president of the Metro Washington Council of the AFL-CIO. And that is Sister Deanna Forrester. Deanna, good to have you with us. Hey, everybody. Good to see you and Ed. Um, got a chance to chime in a little early. And congratulations. That's awesome, Ed. Way Children's to go, Hospital. Ed. Way yeah. To go. Good to see you, Deanna. Representation well, now. Deanna, nice to have you. Uh, with, uh, you look, you're looking great in your Facebook photos that I've seen. You're styling. Oh, thank you. Well, one of the places you saw <laughs> Dee uh, recently, uh, she was at a press conference. I think it was. I think it was yesterday. There's been so much going on this week. I'm having a hard time keeping track. Uh, you know, she yeah. uh, until and before she was president of the Metro Council elected earlier this year, she was doing work over at the USCW Local 400. Uh, and helped to organize a really interesting group of of workers who just got their first contract. So let's start with that story, Deanna. 
Yeah, so historically, um, United Food Commercial Workers Union represents um, cannabis workers um, more so in the West Coast, um, some of the Midwest and Nevada. It was actually a campaign that I was introduced to when I was working to get the legislation um, in Maryland passed to assure that more um, people um, of color were able to get access to the licenses. Um, so we very excited that yesterday we were able to um, the first one, well, the first organized shop in D.C., but it's also black owned shop. Um, so I think that was the most exciting part about it. And I think this also speaks to um, Ed's work, you know, even during times like this right now, labor has been the only organized voice to fight back for protection for workers um, through this pandemic. But as also, we know that small businesses are hurting um, and they tend to, you know, whenever business is hurting, they tend to start, you know, cutting the cuts um, go directly to the workforce. And I think it's exciting that um, when pe when employers could be looking at how to do things um unfairly that we have employers like um, the owner of the cannabis industry, the cannabis dispensary in um, DC who said, I want to actually make sure that I'm doing the right thing by my workers. And the only way I can do that is making sure they have a voice in the workplace. And I want to have, I want to allow my workers to have a contract with the union, um, which I was, I, I jokingly said as an organizer, how many of us have <laughs> would love for the company to say, come on in. Talk to my members. Tell them how great the union is, and let's sign them up. So, a couple of things. First of all, let's just call them out. It's, it is uh, Cannibalis, uh, and I got a great picture I'm looking at right here uh, that was posted, uh, and, and we'll post that to uh, our Twitter at uh, at DC Labor. Um, in fact, uh, in fact, I think I recognize that fellow over there on the left. Looks like uh, I think that's Mark Federici behind that that uh, cool mask, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, got a haircut. Uh, <laughs> he did get it. that's why I didn't recognize him for a second. I thought I was I thought he was going, you know, off the you know all the way on that, but it looks like he finally got a little bit of a corona trim there. But yeah. Uh so so cannabis, it's a uh black owned uh dispensary here in the district. Um but uh you know, Ed Ed, you've been organizing a long time. How many times have you had an employer come to you and uh say, Hey, let's let's get uh, let's get my workers some representations and, and I'm thinking not too many times. I'm thinking that if I have zero fingers on my hand, that's the <laughs> amount of time. Now, there have been occasions when employers have been neutral, truly neutral, and that's been a, a blessing. But that's about as good as I've seen. Um, and that's that's wonderful. And then hopefully that the proof is in the pudding after the contract that he continues to do the, the things uh, in terms of having em employees have input and um, work together in a good business. That's a wonderful story, Deanna. Thank you. But this this is the beginning of the story. I know that before I left um, to come work for the council, there was a um, some shops in Maryland that we worked closely with um, that are also black owned. And I would say it was because of the, our support of the legislative efforts. They were like, "We need somebody up here fighting for us on a regular mm -hmm. basis." <laughs> you yeah. know? So they were like, "So we don't have to pay a lobbyist. We can just have a union and they'll represent us and the workers." There you go. Yeah. Well, um, you know, you now are holding the, the, the position of president of the AFL. And so I guess 
maybe an extension on that is how um, how does uh, organizing happen now during this time of pandemic? And by the way, how did the do you know the details of how they got that contract done? Were they in in face to face or Zoom or any of that? That I don't know logistically how they were able to work it out, um, but it do so. It was probably a mixture. I heard it was it took some time um, because of logisticals. Um, that's what that I don't know. But I, I mean, I think as far as like how do we move forward organizing um, in this moment we're in a you know the virtual world. You know, I think the labor movement's got to figure that out, but so does the grassroots movement, right? Like when session opens up in Annapolis. How do we, we can't walk the halls to push our efforts, um, but how do we get to the legislators? And I think we're all the place right now that we have to um, figure it out. You know, yeah. I, we've been creative um, in some of our actions so far. And, you know, I think, you know, having more call-in days, I know folks have been, you know, especially um, mobilizing to the election. Um, people have been, you know, doing text texting phone banks and so some of the best practice that we're learning to mobilize people around this route to the polls is some of the things we're going to have to take away in our legislative and campaign fights so yeah. speaking speaking of that there i'm up in i'm about up in uh, montgomery county and i got something i need some help and i know you were at a, at a big rally last night this is the no on b labor rally last night and a big coalition. I was really impressed. Everybody from the transit workers to AFSCME Maryland, uh, USCW 1994, uh, of course, the Metro Council is on board. But a bunch of bunch of uh, heavy hitters. Can you explain this this uh, this Proposition B situation? Yeah, and I'll say um, I had the pleasure of introducing um, our vice, national vice president Safari Jabri, who lives in um, Silver Spring in Montgomery County. And he actually shared personal experience with um, coming from the West Coast. So the, I think the interesting part of this is like, you know, Safari is coming from the West Coast, which we we perceive to be progressive. And, you know, Montgomery County, you know, we we perceive to be progressive. And I think this at that time is this is how we're able to get valid measures. And, um, you know, we name them and make them sound good, like they're doing the right thing, you know, like right to work and all of those things. So there's a measure that appears that it's going to, you know, on the surface, um, give control over the budget. Um, but at the same time, what it actually does is take local control away um, from the budgeting for the county. Um, and we see, like, actually, I think Prince George's County is doing the exact opposite. They're fighting to make sure they have an opportunity to weigh in on the budget. So once the state develops the budget, um, they have, you know, the counties have an opportunity to lobby for and to make their own adjustments and change it and have autonomy over. They're closer to the, their constituents on the ground. They're elected by their constituents on the ground. So therefore, they should have the opportunity to finalize their own local budget. Um, and that's what um, they're fighting to push back against. And, you know, I think the coalition has done a really good job educating and organizing folks Um to, you know, make sure that they understand what's happening. Um, see you, Chris. And, <laughs> and um, it's just, um, you know, I think it's, it's all going to be about making sure that we are explaining to people what this actually does. So that was last night was one okay. of those. So no, no on B to, 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 to do the simple part. That, uh, yes, definitely. that works. Very, you know how your friends call you when they're at the polls and say, how am I supposed to vote they, on this? They do. They do. Just say yes. no. 
Okay. All right. Last one for you, D, because I know you got some other stuff you got to jump to. But uh, tomorrow, uh, uh, apparently the city council uh, and its wisdom is uh, not seeing fit to uh, to do a public hearing on how to reopen the schools safely. Not sure why that is. But luckily for us, uh, Sister Liz Davis and the Washington teachers are going to go ahead and have that hearing, I believe, right out on the steps of the Wilson building. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so you know, DC um, moved for, it moved forward plans to reopen the schools with very little engagement from the, well, I'll say superficial engagement from the teachers, um, and I don't know what other engagement they had from other unions. I'm sure um, Ed can speak to that, but I, I will also, as a parent, you know, I they sent out surveys, but the the, the questions that they were asking, like, are you ready to get your kid back in school? Yeah. <laughs> but it never says at what cost um, and what are the things that we're, we're concerned about. And I do think this is a time where both parents, teachers, support staff, all of us are on the same page. You know, no one wants to, everyone wants to get back to things as normal, but we can't do it until we feel safe enough to do it. And, and that is the, you know, that's the measure that we've been taking and addressing the situation. And we got to continue taking that all the way through is not until it's safe. Do we want our kids going back into the schools so um, Liz Davis, President Liz Davis has been leading that effort with the teachers union, you know, making sure that the, the teachers are involved in, 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 in bringing in um, the nurses and other impacted locals to um, push back against the reopening of the schools. So the um, hearing gives the parents the opportunity and community an opportunity to, to testify in a way that the city council is not allowing that right now. So, so I think you've hit on, you know, hit it uh, pretty square, Deanna, which is, it's not that the teachers don't want the schools reopened. I mean, I, I know they want to go back to work. Uh, it's not, I'm, and Ed can speak, of course, to the nurses and there's blue collar workers, you know, there's, there's teams, there's, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, workers that are involved. Uh, you know, but this is just a, you know, I wouldn't say a microcosm. I mean, it's being played out across the country and across the different workplaces. The issue is not whether people want to open or not reopen. The issue is how do you do it safely and how do you involve folks and not just sort of unilaterally. And we saw this with um, folks from AFSCME Maryland. It's the story we ran in Union City earlier this week, uh, you know, when the University of Maryland shut down earlier this year. And then these workers were told to go in and clean up the dorms. You know, uh, this was right at the height of the first wave of the pandemic where they're just saying, yeah. you, know, you you have to go in, you don't have a choice. And then they get sick and some of them have died. So I think, I think that's more the issue, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone wants this. The Bob is everyone wants to go back to things as normal, but we <laughs> cannot do it until we know that, you know, the science says we can, and we came into this agreeing with that. And, I think because of political pressure and other pressures that our elected officials are trying to move forward to pretend that things are normal, but they're not. And, you know, we see school systems that have opened up that are now closing. Um, Virginia's facing this right now and other school districts across, across the United States are. So I think we need to master this virtual learning and, um, you know, make sure that we go back into the schools when we see the numbers drop and we feel good about kids being safe, teachers being safe and support staff being safe. Yeah. You know, I just want to jump in here real quickly with, I want to paint with a finer brush. Um, the nurses are in somewhat of a different situation because the nurses uh, are not in a position to do any remote nursing care. So they're either going to be 
maintained to be laid off or they have to be back in school. But here's what we say. We are, don't believe that the schools should be reopened until specific um, issues are addressed. And the, one of the major ones is the HVAC system. The ventilation in schools prior to uh, COVID-19 was not was not good. Uh, in some cases, it was abysmal. And it hasn't been fixed. Uh, nurse suites, we've gotten pictures from nurses, and I can't disclose where um, because I don't want retaliation in nurses, but there we've seen mouse turds in some school suites. We've seen school suites that have just absolutely been no work done on them to clean them whatsoever. We have nurse suites that are too small. We have nurse suites across the city that don't have the proper uh, um, ventilation. And supplies, we're not getting guarantees that there's going to be enough supplies. These are major, serious issues that these nurses know that if they're not going back to school, they might be on a layoff, a temporary layoff until school starts. But we're still standing with the teachers and the principals union to make sure that we protect our children and make sure that there's safe working conditions. Well, Deanna Forrester, really appreciate, you know, all the work that you're doing. I know you, you're going to a lot of, you know, uh, rallies, whether, you know, in person or virtual or, or whatever. So uh, keep up the great work and keep us posted. Okay. Will do. Thank you so much. Have a Take good care. one, you all. You too. Take care, Deanna. All right. Deanna Forrester is president Thank of the Have a good Washington Council AFL-CIO. It's the coalition of uh, almost 200 locals here in the in the Washington area. It's uh, it's where I work, and Ed Smith's Union, the DC Nurses Association, is part of the Metro Council. And uh, you can join us two zero two five eight eight zero eight nine three if you'd like to weigh in on this whole school reopening issue and the safety for whether you've got a uh, you know maybe you teach there, maybe you've got kids there. We'd love to hear about that. Also. Uh, we are in fun driving. As I said, uh, we, we're really looking. And my theme today is the next day, the day after Election Day. Uh, so let's let's look and uh, you know, think about a dollar a day or two dollars a day. I think Ed had what was it a four dollar a day figure that you came up with? I was looking for three sixty five. So three sixty five times four years is really what I was thinking. <laughs> you drive me crazy with these numbers. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Program director Katia Stitt is with a Katia. We miss you. We haven't seen you in forever. Hello. I know. Good afternoon, gentlemen. It's so nice to be with you. I miss you oh, all too. What a treat. What a treat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, Mike is waving. Mike, does that mean we have a call? Or you're just waving at us. I have no idea. What I was waving. I think he, I think he's waving at me. Oh, okay. Right. He's saying hi. All right. That's our yes. engineer, Mike Nacella. We we miss him, too. At least we get to see him every week. But Katia, uh, you know, clue us in. Uh, you know, as you probably heard, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of looking at the, the year-round 365, mm-hmm. uh, you know, service that, that the PFW provides. Everybody's focused on Election Day. And I always get nervous to people, are, you know, especially if we win on Election Day, people are like, okay, job well done. We can, we can all go home now. And that's what I'm trying to get people to think year-round. What's, what's your pitch? I think absolutely year round is the way to go, you know, and one way to do that, if you don't want to literally have to send us a dollar a day, you (laughs) could, um, uh, and we understand if you wouldn't want to do that, but I think it's a great concept and you can actually do that by becoming a sustaining member. Yes. Yes. You know, I, um, I'll, I'll leave the math to Ed right now to give us what that would be monthly to get to 365. I won't try to do that on the fly because I'm not good at that. But um, 
What I am good at is hopefully making folks understand the importance of WPFW, making people understand, our listeners understand the importance of having a program like Your Rights at Work that um, gives you more than the, the soundbite, for instance, on school reopening, safe school reopening, more than the soundbite on what's happening with uh, nurses and doctors in as it pertains to a new hospital or our healthcare system in the nation's capital. So, um, and of course, where else can you go to get your labor questions answered, whether you're unionized or not? All you need be is a worker. You can call in and ask a question about a particular circumstance that you are facing. So um, for all of those reasons and so many more, I would urge folks to support Your Rights at Work. $500 is our goal. And if we have someone, um, uh, Chris and, and and Steve, I don't know where I got Steve from. Chris, <laughs> Chris and Ed, I know, right? Exactly, whatever. If we got um, someone doing 365, then we'd have so um, such a short distance to travel to make that goal. And actually the goal really is to exceed the goal. So you can do that by calling 800-222-9739, wpfwfm.org if you want to go online. And you can also do cash app at dollar sign WPFW. And if you say that you believe in labor, if you are someone that is a member of a labor union has benefited from being a labor member, a labor union member, then really this is your opportunity to give back to that movement. This is one way of doing that, ensuring that we have a labor program weekly on our air. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris or Ed, but there are not many labor programs, weekly labor programs that very specifically also allow listeners to chime in on what their their issues are and to get answers. Is that correct? So that's actually a really interesting question, Katia. You know, uh, I think as you're aware, I've been working on this Labor Radio Podcast Network for the last couple of years. We now have, mm-hmm. I think it's close to 80 members. And I got to tell you, there's some fabulous shows. In fact, some some uh, sister or brother shows on other Pacifica stations uh, right. around the country. Uh, wonderful shows. All we, we love them. We've had some of them on our show. None of them our call-ins. You are absolutely right. We right. are the only call-in show. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, I've been pushing the idea because, I mean, one of the, I, I love, and, and Ed does too, we love talking to our listeners. I mean, and, and you know how wonderful PFW listeners are. Indeed. And just never fail to amaze me with the, just the depth and intelligence of their questions. I've had the pleasure of meeting some of them because uh, unfortunately I haven't been able to do this, but normally I offer a, you know, a paella dinner at my place I could probably offer it. I just don't know when you'd be able to collect. You know? Right. <laughs> but I've, I've met I've met our PFW listeners, and and you just cannot find a, a more uh, wonderful group of folks. Uh, and so, to me, I remember when we originally talked about the show, we could have just done a straight up, you know, interview information show, which which would be fine, and and you mm-hmm. know that's a good thing. We yes. really wanted to have the listeners be part of the show. Uh, so the fundraising part is just sort of an, an additional, you know, plus that we get to do. We're happy about that. Absolutely. Well, again, I just want to remind listeners, if you've benefited from the knowledge of these two gentlemen, or I know sometimes Damon Silver will join you or, you know, other uh, professionals in the field of labor, if you benefited from listening to your rights at work or actually have, have called in and asked a question and gotten an answer, um, please 
Make that call that makes a difference right now. $500 to go. That is such an easy lift, but we need your support. We need you to be in solidarity with us, with WPFW, with radio that really reflects the community, reflects the community's values. That is how Lou Hill envisioned it. And we carry that torch very proudly. So the number again, 800-222-9739, WPFWFM.org if you're online and, um, if you want to be modern, like some of us, go to Cash App, which is dollar sign WPFW, and you can give that way. Be sure that you notate that the recipient should be your rights at work. However you connect with us, please make that call that makes the difference, $500. And if you allow me to, gentlemen, I'll come back a little later in the program to join you. Absolutely. You are always welcome. You have, we have an open-door policy for uh, for all listeners, but always for, for you, Katia said, program manager, Our excellence here at PFW. Thanks so much, Katia. Thank you. All right. In just a couple minutes, we're going to have another special guest. And this is uh, Phil Cohen, who is a legendary union organizer. And uh, he will be joining us shortly. I did have a quick uh, little news headline for you here. I I love finding these stories, Ed, which I don't always share with you because I like to sort of get your yeah, exactly. Uh, advice reaction. Well, I'm so waiting. You, 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 you're not going to believe this. Uh, and I couldn't make it up if I tried. Sam's Club putting robot janitors, that's right, robot janitors in all of its stores during the pandemic. Had you heard about this? This was news to me. That is news to me. Ah, very interesting. So who supervises the robot janitors? <laughs> Rosie, Rosie from the Jetsons? I have no clue. I, I really, remember Rosie from the Jetsons, Chris. I do. I don't have very good memories of Rosie. Though. Rosie was the housekeeper for the Jetsons, so I would think she'd be a very good supervisor for for uh, uh, robot uh, janitors. That's just uh, whatever. I, I got to tell you, I see bad things happening, and, and let me tell you why. Because sometimes when I go to the supermarket, and you know how I always love to go, to the, the human, the people there. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, lately, there are fewer and fewer of them and more and more of the self-checkout. So sometimes yeah. I'm sort of forced to go to the <laughs> self-checkout. And you know what's terrible, though, is you get in there and you, and you swipe something wrong or and, you know, the things, I don't know, maybe it's just me, something always goes wrong. That's right, exactly. And then you're, you're looking around and I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, the, the you know somebody to help me out. Uh, to get me out of there, you know, to get my, 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 cause I need my, my kitty food or whatever it is I'm getting, you know. So, so my legal so, advice, even though you're yes, not, calling no, I need some legal advice here. I need some your legal, legal My legal advice is get your damn butt in the checkout lane and go to a regular person, even if it takes a five extra minutes. But, but here's what I'm worried about, right? When you have robot janitors, you know, when, mm. when, the, when the robot, when the robot janitors, you know, uh, break down, go on, I mean, you know, what, uh, I can just see all kinds of upsides for the boss. You know, they don't talk back. They don't go on strike. You know, they, they don't need coffee breaks or smoking. But then you got to hire an expensive IT person <laughs> or two to make sure that. No, I'm being serious to, to make oh, sure yeah. that those that, that technology is working properly. So you're spending a lot of a boatload of money on IT people to to uh, ensure that that uh, virtual workforce is doing its job. That's a, that's a problem to me. It's um, like a weird but, story. Robot janitors at Sam's Club. That is just a shame. All right, here's something. We're not going to get too deep into it, but I've gotten educated recently on a thing called Proposition 22 out in 
uh, California. This has to do with the gig workers. And if I may be oversimplifying, I'm sure I am. Uh, but basically it has to do with classification of drivers. Uh, we've had uh, many times over the years, you know, calls in from, from uh, cabbies and so forth here in town. But this whole worker classification issue, you know, Ed, it just it's just amazing to me. Every time, and I think what happened was in California last year, they got a good ruling, or maybe earlier this year, got a good ruling on classification of workers. So, you know, Uber and Lyft are spending a gazillion dollars, uh, more or less, uh, to get this proposition through. And I think it's another one of these things where they sort of, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing kind of a thing. Right. Um, and, but they really are spending an ungodly amount of money uh, to try and get this proposition through to basically uh, deal with that classification uh, and get their drivers uh, who had been moved over to saying, yes, they, you know, they work for you. You control their working conditions. Yes, they are your employees. And this proposition would basically say, uh, no, they're not. So right. uh, let me check with Brother Nacella. I know he's getting our guest online. And uh, Mike, just give me a thumbs up when our guest is online, all right? Oh, so, Chris. Thumbs up. There we go. Yes, oh, sir, okay. Go well, I was, just gonna, on that? I was just going to jump in real quick. I know we have oh, another uh, guest. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of people out there say, well, it, I am kind of an independent contractor when I drive. I get to drive yeah. my own hours. And, you know, it's good for me. Well, in you know, individually, there might be cases where it might be a good thing for them. But when you look at look at it from a, a grand scheme, this is about exploitation of workers and they will change the um, algorithms that they have for how much money you get uh, and how much money you have to turn over to the company. So it's all about exploitation from a grander s- scheme. So individually, maybe it works for a couple of people, but overall, it is an employer utilizing uh, prior law that says these people are contractors and they're making gobs and gobs of money off the hard work of people who are in a lot of need. A lot of people who do Lyft drive or Uber drive are doing it not because that's what they want to do. It's because what they have to do. They're taking a second or third job doing that to pay some bills. Exactly. You're listening to Your Rights at Work, Chris Garlock and Ed Smith. And as always, we can uh, happy to take your calls if you've got questions about your rights on the job, your rights, uh, the ones that you have, the ones you wish you had, the ones that you don't have. Our next guest uh, is a, he's a legendary organizer. He's got a brand new book out, Fighting Union Busters in a Carolina Carpet Mill. And we've got him live uh, from North Carolina, and that's Phil Cohen. Phil, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Hey, great to be back here again. So, Fighting Union Busters in a Carolina Carpet Mill. Great title, great fight. Uh, why don't you give us some quick background uh, on this uh, little, little joint called Mohawk Industries in uh, the, the, the perfectly named Eden, North Carolina. Yes, that's right. Um, Rick, the book is, in one sense, an insider's look at what union busting has evolved into under the Trump administration. In late 2017, um, Workers United SEIU um, asked me to come out of retirement to investigate and expose an illegal um, decertification effort um, by Mohawk Industries at its Eden, North Carolina carpet mills. Um, Mohawk is a Fortune 500 company with a global presence. And I've been 
successfully fighting deserts for 30 years. You know, one of the things I'm proudest of in my career is that no union locals ever been decertified in my watch. But I encountered things in the field in Eden unlike anything that I ever had um, while fighting professional union busters. You know, normally an NLRB, you know, when you file NLRB charges and you're documenting management support and involvement, it is adjudicated thoroughly on a regional level of the NLRB, which is set up like most federal law enforcement agencies. We have regional offices, um, you know, reporting to a national office. And it doesn't really go before the five-member panel that governs the NLRB um, until, you know, all efforts have been exhausted at a regional level and one party is still protesting the outcome. A month into this case, the um, union-busting attorney retained by Mohawk was appealing directly to the Trump-appointed heads of the NLRB, not disputing the merits of our evidence, which were overwhelming, but asking that the evidence could flow out based on obscure legal technicalities, very similar <laughs> tactics to what John Gotti's lawyer did to keep him out of jail for many, many years. You know, it doesn't matter. The evidence that he killed somebody doesn't matter because we have this legal technicality here saying the evidence shouldn't be admitted. So, so Phil, who are you going to believe? You know, me or your lying eyes? Don't ignore the dead body in the corner. There you go. Exactly. And also, with two months after the campaign started, the National Right to Work Committee attorneys, three of them, entered an appearance, and they were trying to use our case as a test case to have the NLRB revoke laws um, implemented by FDR in 1935 to protect workers' rights from illegal decertifications and tried to use our situation as a test case to have all those laws repealed by the Trump NLRB. So this is this is really mind-boggling, and I was I was really happy when this came across my desk, and, I, and because I think a lot of folks sort of, you know, this is kind of under the radar kind of stuff. It doesn't necessarily make headlines, and I, yeah. I had not I had not heard about this case to be honest. And I, I follow this stuff pretty carefully. Uh, and my you know my co-host Ed Smith has been around for for a minute, and I don't think you knew about this, did you, did you Ed? Um, I'm not wasn't aware of the specific case, but the trend is clear. And you know, my concern is it's not just going to be the Trump administration; it's going to be any um, subsequent Republican administration. And these guys that are in there are going to be in there for a little bit longer, even under a Biden administration. Their terms will not expire until probably halfway through his administration. So yeah. the NLRB is no longer our friend. Yeah, look, that's right, and you know. The interesting thing about the Trump NLRB, I've dealt with the NLRB under every administration since George Bush Sr., up to his present. <clears throat> and, you know, the NLRB was um, developed under the under Roosevelt administration to be a neutral body to adjudicate allegations of unfair labor practices by either employers or unions. And naturally, if you had a Republican administration, they were biased a little bit to the right, Democrat biased a bit to the left. But I've never seen I've never seen anything like this, where essentially the law they're essentially in place not to 
make decisions based upon the law, but to repeal one law after another. And, you know, Trump has done similar things with other federal agencies like the EPA, like Social Security. He's essentially dismantling the New Deal one piece at a time through the various agencies that administer aspects of those rights of the American people by having them to simply pull the legal teeth from those agencies to repeal the laws those agencies are supposed to administer to protect the rights and interests of the American people. So this is unlike anything I've encountered in 30 years of running special projects for the Union. Well, i got to ask the question, Phil. I mean, and, and this is not a new question. You've heard it before, Ed. I'm sure you've heard it before. I mean, uh, you know, is the NLRB, uh, for all intents and purposes, I'm not even going to say a paper tiger. I mean, should should we just board up the doors and, and, uh, and move on? I'm, I'm serious. I mean, what's the point? Look, right, my, the image came into my head earlier today, you know, assuming... You know, Biden wins, and he makes a clean sweep of Congress, and we suddenly have a Democrat-controlled government again. It's kind of like we've been in an earthquake, and when the earthquake stops, life doesn't go back to normal. You know, the human, you know, the human casualties, the property damages is all around you, and it takes a long time to clean things up. And what's going to follow in the wake of the Trump administration, as you said, we're still going to have a Trump-dominated NLRB um, for about 18 months. You know, we have all these various federal judges who would be in a position to uphold or reject challenges made to NLRB decisions appointed by Republicans who will be in place for a number of years. But I think over time, if we regain control of the government, Things will level out, and especially, you know, what we really somehow need to lobby to do and get the message across is that Biden is serious about being the most pro-union president in American history, that we need to get his NLRB to simply reinstate the various laws that were unethically and illegally repealed by the Trump NLRB. His mandate is not to indicate labor disputes, but to be part of Trump's war of genocide against the labor movement. Those are great points because, I, you know, as a practicing attorney representing nurses, I, I've generally stayed away from ULPs during the last four years um, because I do not want to be filing a ULP that normally would... Uh, result in a complaint against the uh, against the company um but in these times we're also worried about precedent setting and this board has been very clear that it's willing to just throw out 30 40 years of precedent kind of similar to what we're seeing or potentially seeing in the supreme court i'm just thinking um, that just and the supreme that. court will verb will, yep. will have reverberations for longer than ours because they have lifetime appointments but um yeah, the, the the points you make are just so on, you know, so excellent. And uh, we, you know, we uh, hopefully when Biden does win, we have to keep the pressure on. And as Chris, you said, the day after, the day after, we need to make sure labor reminds Joe that he's a working man's uh, friend, and 
that part of that is the NLRB. And one thing, I, one thing I will share with your listeners, not to give away the end of the book, but we kicked Mohawk's butt. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> Part of this book, you know, within the context of simply, you know, an action-packed, you know, good storytelling drama, because that's how I write, it encompasses the tactics, legal and organizing tactics, that allowed us to beat the odds and put a Fortune 500 company in its place. And the real story contained within the book is how we did that. You know, this was a classic David and Goliath battle. I got called in two days after the DSER petition had been filed. I mean, I was called in at like the 11th hour and 59 minutes. But we were able to turn the tables, and the how we did it is the real story within the book. Well, I tell you, folks are going to want to get this. It's called Fighting Busters in a Carolina Carpet Mill. Uh, As folks probably know, we put out a podcast version of this show, and you can just find it at Your Rights at Work. Uh, And we'll put a link in where you can can pick up this book. It's uh, from a publisher called McFarland. It's literally just out in September of this year. Uh, Let me share this with your listeners. The best place to go on the link that I hope you share is my website, right. fightingunionbusters.org. There you, you know, go. Realizing that a lot of working people especially are struggling financially now, I'm passing on my 40% author's discount on books directly to the public with no markup. If they get it at fightingunionbusters.org, and I hope that's the link you use, um, they'll get the book at 40% off list plus a copy of my last CD on wall supplies of that last. And there's also links on the website to all the major retailers that people prefer to go there. That's fabulous. FightingUnionBusters.org. I love it. That's an easy-to-remember link. Uh, uh, Phil, before we let you go, just uh, what, you know, this is a rights at work show. People call in with questions about, you know, rights on the job. So, you know, what What are a couple of key tips uh, for you, uh, from you, you know, for folks who may be uh, facing, you know, union busting efforts or intimidation on the job? What, what, what do you advise folks? You know, there's a lot of swords that cut both ways. One of the mistakes that Mohawk made is they were overconfident and they overplayed their hand. I mean, the best thing that can happen to you going into a fight, whether it's a street fight or a fight with a company, is to be underestimated by your opponent. So look for ways that the employer just thinks they can get away with anything, but they can't. But it's all about documentation. You have to prove that the employer was allowing anti-union employees to roam the plant during working hours, signing, getting signatures on the petition. You have to be able to prove that management was involved in the solicitation. And a fascinating thing about um, the NLRB, no matter who's running it, that I mentioned in the book, you can send someone to death row based on circumstantial evidence, but you cannot get an NLRB complaint based on circumstantial evidence. You have to have hard proof. You have to have one witness after another, corroborative witnesses, cumulative witnesses who saw the same thing, 
you really have to get in there and dig and investigate and overcome the fear of the average worker to come forward and give a sworn affidavit to a federal agency. And the other thing that there are tiny ray of light is that even though the heads of the NLRB were appointed by Trump for all the wrong reasons, the field staff and field attorneys are exactly the same people. And you get to know them, and the majority of them really understand what's going on. But nonetheless, you have to make your case according to their rules. And it's, you've got to jump through some hoops of fire to do it. But um, Local 294T in Eden, North Carolina, is living proof that it can be done. And if we could do it, so can you. All right. Phil Cohen, thanks so much for spending time with us. The book is Fighting Union Busters in the Carolina Carpet Mill. You can get it, fightingunionbusters.org. It's uh, off 40% off, and apparently you can CD as well. That's Phil Cohen. Thanks so much, Phil. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Enjoyed being here. All right. Uh, next up, this is this is what I love about PFW. You know, we were just talking about how much we we love our callers. I don't know that we've had this before. We have a caller who's a walk-in, and this is even more. I'm frustrated because you know, Ed, you're at your house, I'm at my house, and we have somebody who's walked into the studio. As I'm looking at them right now uh, yeah. on, on camera, uh, you need to jump on mic and introduce yourself, brother. Come brother, on, brother, brother Blanton, brother Thomas Blanton, jump on mic, brother. What's happening, y'all? Hey, How you doing? Hey, man. Good to see you all always. Good to hear you on the air. Keep on going. 365. 365. And what, what uh, Tom's referring to is uh, he, he heard he heard our, our plea for a dollar a day, a uh, dollar a day and, and 365. And uh, you got your little bingo bell there, Ed? I do. Here, This is just for you, Tom. I don't know. You, you got to work on that, brother. You need something a little more dramatic. <laughs> My locals and my, my Central Labor Council and, and the Coalition of Black Trade Unions, they all make it possible. Hey, Tom, Thanks, let, let folks know about which local you're with. Actually, I gave them the local of 1110. It doesn't exist uh, anymore. It's the Carpenters yeah, Union that work at the convention center. I that's think we're in 491 now. And that's a long story. Ed. That's what's happening. I know. The <laughs> Carpenters Union. But 1110 brothers work in the convention center. What's going to happen when they reopen it? What's going to happen to the brothers who work by their hands all the time? Not just sometimes. So, Tom, this is Tom, a uh, mm. carpenter, uh, a building trades. And, and Tom, here I, I've been talking to a lot of different locals and a lot of different workers. And you got everything from the entertainment you know, unions that have been really shut out. They haven't worked in months, right? And then you've got, you know, the uh, uh, grocery workers like we were hearing earlier. A lot of those folks, you know, they've been working real hard. And the building trades are kind of all over the map. Some of them, they've been working and, and they've been doing, you know, extra construction work and they've had to set up, you know, the different cleaning stations. But some of your folks, you know, are doing more inside work, right? And, that, and that's, can you tell it's, people a little bit about that? But the work requires you to do hand work. It's carpentry work. Yeah. You know, we, we yeah. install and dismantle, you know, and the industry doesn't necessarily need it to be done that way. The advertisers, the clients, the clients can go Zoom. What happens to the workers? That's a really good question. I think folks have been sort of, and I know that uh, I've been noticing a lot of it, and it could be my imagination, but it seems like they've really stepped up the road work around town. I was just driving when I went to drop off my ballots in Silver <laughs> Spring. I was like, man, I, I, I had to take the back way because uh, there's all this road work going on right now. 
but for folks, you know, you, you can't zoom that in. But what about the things that are, you know, like you're saying, uh, a lot of times you got uh, construction work that's sort of behind the scenes, if you will, like a lot of the work that you guys or the painters, you guys, are the painters, uh, folks like that. So, you know, it's, it's and also, a hidden building trade industry. Trade shows are the number two form were was the number two form of advertising. But, you know, people are going to advertise differently. They're going to keep advertising. But will they need us to do it? So when you say trade shows, uh, what you're talking about is that that's that's uh, building uh, building stuff up and then taking stuff down for the different things that go at the convention district, center, right? In the district, I use the example of the CBC. Everybody goes to the CBC. They go into uh-huh. the convention hall and they walk around. You know, And I've asked people over the years, how many times have you seen them put it in and take it out? And you watch their response. <laughs> I'm not going to call any names, but a high official in the mayor's office was on the board and she had never seen the guy's work. She walked in there and she said, these are real jobs for real people. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and and some of them make there's, there's, there's our program manager, Katia. Katia, <laughs> meet uh, big brother Tom Blanton, and he well, has responded, he's responded to our 365. That's, that's wonderful. And I think, I don't know, Thomas, aren't you also on our board? I didn't want to talk too much. <laughs> are you, are you also, are you also on I'm our, doing. are you, are you also on our, our local? Are you on our local station you know, board? And so I picked institutions and organizations Tom, that can handle multi issues. You know, Thomas, so what can I've been you doing my contribution yeah, to yeah, WPLW yeah, is picking those shows that work on those issues. And you know, earlier in the week, I forgot what it was now, but I contributed to something else. I always contribute to Joni when I can. You know, so I'm trying right. to, to balance my budget and not go broke three sixty five. Well, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to support have, monetarily those issues. One of the board members. We, Suggesting we that the board members ourselves, we need to up our contribution level. And I actually opposed the resolution because I didn't have the money to make, to make his commitment. But I'm trying to make my, demonstrate my commitment as best I can on those issues well, that I can. Thomas, Thomas, it's wonderful. I think you might not have headphones on so you can hear me. I'm not sure. I don't see you with headphones on. So maybe oh, we're, someone we're, hasn't we're given them. We're getting them some headphones now. So yeah, I think that's what it is. It, it, does he have headphones on, he uh, does engineers? Now. Okay, great. Because he couldn't as we, hear. As we get ready to roll out of the uh, show. Exactly. Um, well, we want to just give. We. I just want to give the number real quick because we only need one thirty-five. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for stepping up as a board member, as a union member. Eight hundred two 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 nine seven three nine. Only one hundred thirty-five dollars, folks, to go. Or you can go to wpfwfm.org. Fellas, it's up to you. Thank you so to you. much, Katia. Thank you, Thomas. I see Mo. Mo the man is in studio. I tell you, we got the whole gang here. And of course, Mike Nacella, our fabulous engineer, keeps us honest uh, every week. Ed Smith, it's been wonderful to be with you once again this Chris, week. Chris, we got seven minutes left. Let's see another 365. Somebody step up and do what Tom did. And thank you, Tom. Great to see you. I miss seeing you on the picket lines. All right, folks. We'll see you all next week. Hang in there. Have a great week. And don't forget, vote, vote, vote.